Sure. Joined right now by Tyler Kepner, national baseball writer for the New York Times on Pollock on Point. Tyler, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Great to visit with you, especially that we are uh, native suburbanites from the Philadelphia area and have a love of a hoagie from Rich's Deli in Fort Washington. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you can't beat the cheesesteaks over there at Rich's. I, for my money, that's the best. That's for sure. Appreciate it again. So a lot going on over the course of the last week or so from the death of Henry Aaron, unfortunately, on Friday to some free agent movement to what happened yesterday at the Hall of Fame. So wanted to start there. Didn't want to necessarily get too bogged down in it. But given the fact that for the first time since 1960, there will be no new class of entrance into the Hall of Fame. Your thoughts on the, what happened and, and the results of the balloting that we found out about yesterday. Yeah, Brett, it's a little bit of an anomaly, really. I mean, the last uh, seven years, I think the writers have, have voted in 22 guys, which I believe is a most in, the, in a seven-year stretch. Um, and when there have been these kind of odd ballots where nobody gets the 75%, most of the people on those ballots do eventually get in. It just takes a little time to build a case. Um, obviously, you have at least two um, slam dunk hall of famers by their numbers which are Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens but they're kind of stuck in that that 60 percent range they didn't make much of a movement from from last year they're at 61 point something and, and Kurt Schilling got the most votes yeah. um you know he, he even increased from last year but he just didn't didn't increase quite enough um and of course he's upset about that but um you know it's just it's really really hard to get 75 percent I mean that's what it comes down to like you know, 71% is a landslide in just about any election. Um, but the Hall of Fame election is really, really tough. You need 75%. Nobody got it. Um, I guess in a quirk of the pandemic, uh, we will still have people to in right. induct this year because uh, Derek Jeter and Larry Walker and and uh, Ted Simmons didn't have their day last year. So they'll have it this year. And um, But 2021 will officially go down a, a, as an empty year for uh, new inductees. And you mentioned Kurt Schilling, and that's a really interesting case. He got very close. I think he's 16 votes shy of the requisite 75% that you mentioned. There's been some pushback, I guess, on some of his comments recently about what happened in Washington. And now he's saying that he wants to remove himself from the ballot heading into his final year of eligibility on the ballot. Is that possible, feasible? And then given the fact that 14 of the 401 voters did not return any names on their ballot, does that bring up the discussion and, and maybe further the discussion about should the process be changed? Is there a different way to go about this process? Well, I think there, there's any number of ways um, you, you could you could change the process if you wanted to, but that's up to the Hall of Fame board. Um, yeah. you know, and, and, and they really love uh, the consistency of things over the years. And, um, you know, they, they believe that most of the time the writers do uh, eventually uh, reach, you know, put in the right guys. Um, I don't think there's very many uh, choices the writers have made over the years that that you could that you could uh, question. Um, you know, it, sometimes it does take a long time to get there, but uh, most of the writers' choices are are pretty solid guys, if not all of them. So, um, as for Schilling, I don't know that. I mean, I guess it's possible. Um, you know, the, the, the Hall of Fame board sets the rules, and Jane Forbes Clark, the, the chairman of the board, said that they'll they'll consider Schilling's um, request. Um, but I don't think they'll, they'll, um, they'll grant it just because it, it's just one more year and it would set a bad precedent. And, you know, Schilling says he, he's, he's, he's not going to participate. Well, you, you don't have to participate where your career is over. I mean, you could, 
you know, Roy Halladay, uh, you know, God bless him. Um, you know, he had already died by the time he got on the ballot. So th there's no participation from, um, you know, f from the, the people on the ballot. There's just a name um, that's up to the writers to check. And, and, and I would have voted for Schilling a long time ago. Um, I'm an eligible voter, but the New York Times has a policy, so I don't vote. Um, I don't think the, the uh, rhetoric um, on social media, uh, should, to, to me, whatever a guy says, good or bad, doesn't really matter. Right? If we're going to talk about character too, he won a bunch of character awards and, and charity awards when he played. But I don't look at character. They, they, they mentioned character as one of the things you're supposed to consider. But to me, it's really a hard thing to judge. And the only guideline I have is um, if a player was ever unable to play because of cheating, you know. And to me, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, they were officially sanctioned big leaguers their whole career. They never, you know, it, it was the it was the times. Um, but same thing with with Schilling. Like he competed fair and square and and had a great career. So that's the way I look at it. But no, uh, short answer. I don't think they'll they'll be changing it. But they will at least you know talk it over. And Schilling really made his mark in the postseason where he was dominant and won a handful oh, yeah. of elimination games. And one of the things that also happened this week was the Players Association rejecting Major League Baseball's proposal for the continuation of the extended playoffs uh, that we saw last year during the pandemic. And obviously, with the negotiations that we saw between the two sides last year trying to get the season started, there seems to be a fair amount of animosity and acrimony would this have an impact on the negotiations to come next year when the collective bargaining agreement ends and they have to sit down and, and go toe to toe about continuing the game and putting the next agreement together? Yeah, but that's what this is all about. I mean, it, it's about having, it's about holding on to a leverage point um, for the next CBA. Um, it, you know, the, the, the players know that the owners want uh, an expanded playoffs and the owners think that it's in the player's interest too, and it is. Um, so you'd think that if both sides wanted something, it would be easy enough to just do it. Yeah. Uh, same with the DH, but the players, uh, the players know that the, that the owners can't do this without their approval. So they want something in return that, you know, usually that, that's more than just the DH to them. That's, um, you know, changes in the economic system that will benefit them. Um, address some of their concerns uh, since the last CBA. So it's all tangled up in that stuff. Um, the feeling I get from the union is they just don't see any reason to give away something, um, something of value in a negotiation. And, and you can understand that. I mean, sure. I, you know, it'll be weird if we have expanded playoffs last year and then not this year and then do it again. But I don't know. I mean, I love the wildcard game anyway. So I'm like, <laughs> more wildcard, yeah. one more wildcard uh uh, year, I, I think that's cool. I think that one game elimination knockout uh, night is uh, nights are, are really fun. So I, you know, if, if if we if we go back to five teams in each league, to me, you don't need more than five teams anyway. I think yeah. that's plenty. Um, yeah. You know, eight each, eight or even seven in each league to me is too much. That's that's half, just about half of the league and uh, gets watered down a little bit. But uh, yeah, that, but that's what it's all about. It's just all about. Um, the, the, the next CBA. It was interesting too with the expanded playoffs this past season, getting the chance to see some young up and coming teams like the Blue Jays, like the Padres, who are filled with young stars. And yet, for many years, we haven't seen arguably the best player in the game, Mike Trout, in the playoffs, a uh, fairly understated 
you know, face of the game. He probably gets more animated as a fan at an Eagles game than he does on the field. So, you know, given his stature in the game and given the fact that we don't get to see him a lot on the national stage, how much would it potentially benefit the game if, in fact, the Angels were to make the playoffs? And we did get to see Mike Trout in prime time in playoff games, potentially even in a World Series. Yeah, you, you wonder what MLB has to do to get Mike Trout into the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they, they made it eight of the 15 teams right. and they still couldn't make it because the Angels right. can't pitch. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, it would be great to see him him, him in there. He's, he only played three playoff games. They were swept yeah. by the Bills in 2014 uh, when they were the number one seed in the American League. Um, yeah. So it's – I mean, the Angels it, – it, it, it's not like they're not trying. They've got Joe Madden right. um, as manager. They changed – uh, they changed general managers a couple times during this run. Um, they obviously signed Alvin Pujols a long time ago. Josh Hamilton. They signed Rendon. I mean, they've signed a lot of people to try to yeah. get out, uh, try to take advantage of Mike Trout at his best. But, um, you know, I like some of the things they've done. I mean, they, they've added to the bullpen a little bit. And, and um, you know, Jose Quintana for the rotation. I, I still don't know if they have enough pitching. But, um, yeah. yeah, it really helped MLB to have their best player, um, you know, playing at the time when most people watch and you know if he's not in the playoffs that means people have got to really kind of try hard to see Mike Trout because you know the biggest population base is on the east coast and he plays on the west coast and those right. games start really late now the, the counter I'd say to that is that um, in the 90s early 90s Ken Griffey Jr. you know took off I mean he was a huge marketing sensation for baseball and he played on on, a, on an even less prominent team than the Angels he, Mariners who had never made the playoffs ever at that point um and he somehow transcended that and became a big star so um if I'm Mike Trout I don't change anything because life is going great um you know he's 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 the highest paid player he's the best player um and he's happy in Anaheim uh but there was something maybe a little more magnetic about Ken Griffey Jr. um that he was able to break through and, and, and be a, be a big, uh, marketing sensation. Um, again, you know, Mike, Mike Trout, the more prominent the angels get, the more we'll see of him. Um, but, uh, he's, he's gotta be true to himself and, and, and he's not a flashy flamboyant guy. He just consistently excellent, uh, day after day and, uh, does it the right way. So I, it's a shame that can't, that can't make him as big a star as Tom yeah. Brady, but that's just where we are right now. Yeah, and Griffey did it without social media back then, too. Right, right. You know, one of the guys, I guess, who you could say maybe has kind of leaped into that celebrity category, so to speak, and that you do see more of is Aaron Judge, right? Burst mm -hmm. onto the scene with the 52 home runs in 2017 as a rookie. Since then, he's battled injuries and hasn't played a complete season, would not have been ready to go last year had the season started on time, still wound up missing half of a short season. So when you look at the contract that say a Trout signed, a Mookie Betts signed, a Bryce Harper signed with Judge's magnetism, with his capability on the field, yet balanced with the fact that he hasn't played as much, you know, what kind of position does that put the Yankees and maybe another team in to potentially sign him to a contract like a Betts or like a Harper? Yeah, that's a tricky, it's a really tricky one. And this is a huge year for Judge in, in, in that sense. I mean, this is year five, full, you know, full year, we think it's 17, right. 18, 19, 20, 21. So after the year six, 22, um, he'd be up and he he really needs to prove that he can stay healthy all year because the Yankees already have a major investment in a very similar kind of player in Giancarlo Stanton. Um, and who, Garrett Cole. 
and Garrett Cole, right. Uh, you know, and these are guys they brought in from, from, from outside the organization. Obviously, the Yankees have a ton of money, so they can um, afford more things than most teams can. But the, the comparison to, to Stanton in particular, it's like, do you? I don't know that they can sustain um, paying that kind of money to two players in, if those players are not going to be on the field. And we just don't know if Stanton and Judge are built physically to play 150 games a year, there just hasn't been much of a precedent in baseball history for people that size. So it's a good thing when they're healthy because they're incredibly powerful, great athletes and, 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 and terrific players. Um, but you're only, you're only helping the team if you can play and those guys get hurt a lot. So I, you know, you have to find out if that's a chronic thing or, or just a couple of blips. I mean, one year, you know, he got hit up. I think judge got hit on the hand um, or the wrist or something. And, 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 and that can happen to anybody, but sure. uh, it does seem that these guys have trouble staying on the field. And I would not want to commit two mega deals to guys who are prone to injury. Yeah, and, and continuing to talk about the Yankees, we mentioned Garrett Cole. They just added uh, Corey Kluber, who basically has pitched in only a handful of games over the last two years. Jamison Tyone, who basically hasn't pitched at all over the last two years. It looks like they're going to lose Tanaka. So looking ahead and saying if it's a full 162 games or maybe even 130 or 140, do the Yankees and most of the other teams around the game have enough pitching to get through a full season given the fact that there were only 60 games last year and a lot of guys in the minor leagues didn't get to pitch who might have been able to help last year and or this year. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think they're, it, it looks like they may be trying to kind of reimagine this because they don't really have um, more than a couple of guys who you can look at and say, I can count on that guy for, yeah. for 30, 32 starts. And that's prob- that's Cole and and I'm giving Jordan Montgomery that too, uh, which might be a stretch, but yeah. Um, they Cole and Jordan Montgomery. Then you got Davey Garcia, who's a young guy. And then Kluber and Tyon both made seven starts in 2019 and combined for one inning last year by Kluber. So um, obviously they, they like what they saw in Kluber's workout. They like a lot of the mechanical changes that, that Tyon has made to, to keep himself healthier. Um, and he's a great kid. And I hope he, uh, he I hope he stays healthy um, for his sake. He's battled a ton of injuries. Um, this is a guy who was drafted right between, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he, and when he's been healthy in the rare cases, he's been healthy, he's been excellent. So at their best, we know that Kluber and Tyone can be really good, but can you, can you depend on them for 30 starts? I don't know. That's probably asking too much. And if you can't, then where are you going to get those innings from? So I don't know if they're going to try to chop up a bunch of games into three inning stints for certain guys as they bring young guys along, um, you know, to, to, to try to just throw a lot of arms at you like the Rays do. Um, I don't know, but it, it's it's a far cry from you know when I covered, <laughs> uh, and I remember they had they had Clemens, David Wells, Andy Pettit, Mike Messina, Jose Contreras, and Jeff Weaver. They had like six starters who they could just you know roll out there at, you know and go deep in the games. They was they had too much of it, um, and now they 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 only it's it's changed a whole heck of a lot um, yeah. since then. And speaking of the schedule, I mean, we still don't know 100% sure if we're going to have a full 162 games. I guess the plan is right now for that to happen. And, you know, spring training is only a couple of weeks away. Is it realistic to think that 162 games can be played or is it more realistic to think maybe 130, 140? Uh, I, 
I'll stay with 162 because uh, because the union is is uh, is is really not going to want to budge on that. I think if they do push things back, um, they would still have to get 162 in, whether that's you know making up some with double headers uh, or, or or whatnot. I don't know. Um, it's harder, you know, with uh, without the regional schedule that we had last year. Um, but I think they could get creative, even if they push push things back a week or two and, and, and try to figure it out somehow. Um, or they could say, yeah, we'll play 150, but if you pay us for 152. I mean, it's all about getting paid for the 162. Last year, they got 37% of, right. of, of agreed upon salaries. And yeah, they make a lot of money, but they don't have, they, they have a very, very finite time in which to, to earn it. So um, I understand where they're coming from. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, but I think, I think the, the union has just been very much like, hey, black and white, like you gave us a 162 game schedule. We want to honor it, period. And then, you know, baseball comes back. Well, yeah, well, but health and tickets and all this. And it's like, well, you, every argument you make, you can make another argument. Arizona right. sense. But, but Arizona naturally wants the, the most. And I'm not saying it's negative. Everybody wants needs to make money. But like, you know, Arizona depends a lot on on uh, tourism and sure. the cash. And, and, and getting fans there and, and and if they're not you know they don't want the players there because yeah because of the health stuff but also because there won't be as many fans there and they won't make as much money so they have an interest in pushing things back i'm talking the arizona communities the uh, baseball does too but for the players obviously they want to stay safe but they just want to do what the schedule tells them to do and tyler kepner national baseball writer for the new york times our guest let's talk a little bit about uh, our hometown team the phillies talking about bullpens and historically bad bullpen last year. They made some moves to try to address it. They just signed JT Real Muto, uh, which really they felt a lot of pressure, I think, both internally and externally to do. They still have a hole to fill at shortstop. So even, let's say, hypothetically, if they were to bring Didi Gregorius back now that Simmons, um, Freddie Galvis, and Simeon have signed with other teams, in comparison to Atlanta, Washington, the Mets, is it realistic to think that the Phillies might still be the fourth best team in that division? They might still be um, because I, I don't know how deep their pitching really is. I mean, I like Archie Bradley. I, I you know, I take a look at Alvarado for sure. I, you know, Jose Alvarado uh, has been good in the past. So they've added a couple of arms. I'd like to see a little more beefing up in the bullpen love to see another starter and and, and a shortstop and a catch and a center field but then then that starts to add up yeah. um you know and, and and they just they did right by real muto they, they gave him the record contract he, he came you know he backed down from his initial demands uh, you know they kept him through age 34 that seems reasonable um you know so i think that was that was a move you had to make and it was fair um they're moving at a very slow pace and guys are coming off the board though. So um, yeah, they got, they got, they got work to do. I mean, you'd love to see him get, get uh, let's say, I mean, I, I wouldn't, how good would Jackie Bradley look? You can get a Jackie Bradley out there uh, in center field to get DJ or uh, DD, um, a starter of some sort, another reliever. I mean, it, it's out there to do, but it's, it's, it's uh, they're being uh, diligent or, you know, disciplined about it. Um, but yeah, I think right now, they're probably the, the the third or fourth best team because I because I don't know how they can stack up with the other three teams above them in uh, in the rotation. And talk, I, yeah, Nola Wheeler, yeah. uh, Eflin, uh, Ivan Nova, I guess. Um, you know that I, I, Velasquez. Uh, I think I'm missing somebody, but um, oh well, yeah. I mean, um, 
you know, uh, why am I blanking on the the, uh, the the great prospect, the kid they brought up last year? Oh, uh, Spencer Howard. Howard, yeah, yeah, Howard, of course, yeah. So yeah. I mean, you know, you hope to get them out of him, but it's still, I like their other rotations better at this point. Yeah, and, and in talking about especially getting the real Muto deal done, how much of an impact was the hiring of Dave Dombrowski in making that happen? And then moving forward, talking about some of the other needs, some of the other moves maybe that they have to make. How much of an impact will Dombrowski's pedigree and past success have in potentially helping them get back to a championship level. Yeah, Dave knows how to, uh, you know, finish off uh, winners. I mean, you know, he knows how to build a winner. He built it in, in Detroit. He built it in in uh, Florida Marlins, and and he's, you know, and and what he did in Boston showed that you know he can take core of players and, and find the guys to get them over the top. In terms of the real Muto. Um, situation i mean obviously it comes down to how much uh, the owner john middleton was willing to spend but dave knows how to close a deal um and he knows how to spend an owner's money um and <laughs> uh, sure. so yeah i mean he's done that just does his track record so dave's a direct guy like he usually goes after what he wants and, and and gets it um you know when he's willing to you know uh i mean he's willing to trade too i mean the phillies they don't have as deep a system maybe as right. the red Sox did at that time but um i still think he's got a, a you know s- s- some more moves uh to go and um i think he's he's certainly the right guy he was a great choice it reminded me a little bit of um you know when pat gillick is, is, was out yeah. there um if pat gillick wants to be the gm of your team you hire pat gillick so you know end of story and it's same with dave dombrowski like if you can get dave dombrowski he's your guy you know and, and he so he was the best by far the best qualified guy out there and then uh and they got him yeah and it looked like maybe after Theo Epstein had stepped down that the Phillies could be a landing spot for him, but he decided right. to take the year off. So with Theo potentially coming back to the game at some point, is there another natural landing spot for him? Another place where he can do what he did with the Cubs and the Red Sox? I don't know. I mean, Theo can write his own ticket because he's, he's so smart and, and accomplished already. And, 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 you know, he, he has been well-paid. I don't think it's, it's like, you know, he's got to go somewhere to, 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 uh, to eat so i you know <laughs> I, I don't know exactly where i mean he can he has he, theo theo has such a um you know such an active mind uh, he, he can help out in whatever area he wants i'm, I'm curious to see how much he helps out and, and what his role really is with the commissioner's office um what kind of challenge he wants to undertake next um, you know, he swears he doesn't want to go into politics. That's cool. I wouldn't either, but you know, I think he could, <laughs> he could help in, in, in any walk of life uh, that he chooses because uh, he can relate to any group of people better than anybody I've ever seen, honestly. So um, I don't know where exactly, but um, you know, with it, with it, with someone who's that sharp um, and perceptive, I, I, you know, you never know what he will want as his next challenge, what or where, um, you know, he can always surprise you with that. Speaking of landing spots, we've heard a couple of different ideal landing spots or close to landing spots for Trevor Bauer, Cy Young Award winner coming off a phenomenal season. But you look at the record throughout his career, a little bit inconsistent. The guy that, whether it's perception or reality or a combination of both, can be viewed as difficult. The guy that uh, has talked about wanting only one-year deals as opposed to a multi-year deal. We talked about the Angels uh, as a potential landing spot. Where do you see ultimately Trevor Bauer landing, and do you see him getting uh, a multi-year deal, maybe even something close to what Garrett Cole got? Yeah, I mean, the Angels make a ton of sense because um, they would seem to be desperate, um, and desperation is, is usually what drives these markets. Um, 
I mean, they, I would be desperate if I'm the angels desperate to cash in on Mike Trout's prime. Um, but they are paying Mike Trout a ton and they're paying Rendon a ton. And if you're going to, you know, it's very hard to think of having three of those contracts, mm -hmm. even in a big market where they draw a lot of fans like Anaheim. So, um, but again, Trevor's the kind of guy, you never know what he's going to do. I, I can't, he, he um, has made a, a career, a very good career of, of going his own way. Yeah. So, you know, he may want to take a short-term deal with the highest AAV ever, or, uh, you know, who knows? I, you know, he, he has his reasons for doing things and, and he believes in them. So I, it's really hard to guess where, where he in particular uh, it, it is going to go. But I've always thought the angels made the most sense there because they have the greatest need and, and then the Mets, you know, the Mets could use another pitcher. I mean, when you're talking about a guy like Trevor Bauer, every team could use him because no team has five starters better than Trevor Bauer. So he could always, he could fit on every team. It's just a question of who wants to make that commitment. I wouldn't worry about the personality thing. I actually think his personality is more of a plus than a minus because uh, of the way he engages fans. Um, you know, but there are some controversial elements that some people might not want to look at, but I think it's more of a positive than a negative, to be honest. Last question for you. Very much appreciate your time. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Kind of a sad and yet happy note to end the conversation with the passing of Henry Aaron last week. Uh, you know, we talked about kind of the magnetism of a Griffey and, and a judge back when he was playing, that guy was Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle. And Aaron was more kind of a quiet superstar, but you look at the record book, it speaks for itself. A, a phenomenal career. And maybe sometimes when people think about the greatest player of all time, his name doesn't come immediately to mind. So now has this kind of re-engaged, re-energized that discussion and a look back at his career and, and, looking at him and saying, wow, maybe he actually was the best player of all time. Yeah, that, that is definitely something that that's, that's happened. People always want to debate who is the greatest ever. And, um, and I think that, that this, because he's on people's minds that, that has brought him um, even more into the discussion. Hank Aaron was one of the rare players who was universally acknowledged as an all time great. Um, and yet he was still maybe underrated. Mm -hmm. um, it's, 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 it's tricky. Like, you know, I think a Wade Boggs is like that. Like Wade Boggs is a huge star. Everybody knew how great he was, but like everybody knew he was great, but did you really know how, how great he was? Like, look at those on British percentages, look at those OPS. It's like Wade Boggs was even better than you realized. Maybe Ricky Henderson, maybe the same way, like, and Aaron too, because Aaron was just, I mean, his, his record beyond all the, all the horrible stuff he had to put up with as he was going through, um, you know, the, the, the coming up through the big leagues. Um, and then later at the end, when he was breaking the Babe Ruth's record, that's, that all is, is amazing. And the way he carried himself with class and dignity made that, that was just, uh, that's his biggest legacy. But if you want to look at some amazing stats, uh, just look at his stat line. It, it just goes on forever. 20, he made every all-star team for 21 years. Mm -hmm. He basically had two Hall of Fame careers within one. Yeah. My, my favorite way to think about, well, two things. Um, he he has a uh, he's so far ahead of the number two guy in total bases. That's Stan Musial. That you could give Musial 180 home runs, and he's still behind Aaron in total bases. He's 180 home runs ahead of the next guy in total bases. You could take you could take away all of his extra base hits, and he was the all-time leader in extra base hits. And just with singles alone, he has more hits than Mike Schmidt. He has more hits than Joe DiMaggio. He has more hits than Willie McCovey or Mike Piazza or Duke Snyder. I mean, like he was so productive for so long. Um, 
you know, and that's so hard to do. You look at like Albert Pujols, he's played a long, long time, but the second half of his career has been nothing special. It's just been, yeah. you know, accumulating numbers with, with, you know, decent years, but nothing outrageous. Hank Aaron was outstanding for 20, 21 years with no let up virtually. It is astounding to see the, uh, the sustained excellence that he produced. Yeah, two of my favorite stats that I saw over the last couple of days were the fact that he had more triples than Ichiro and that he had a better stolen base percentage than Lou Brock and Laurie Wills and that he had more singles than Lou Brock. <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't yeah. realize those. Yeah. yeah, because well, that just speaks to his all-around talent, right? I mean, yeah, like he could absolutely. run and he was great in the field. Uh, he, he really did it all. And, you know, Willie Mays is always thought of as, as the best all-around player, and he probably is. I mean, Willie Mays was, was, was unbelievable. Um, but Hank Aaron was a heck of an all-around player too. And, um, you know, I think those two, Aaron and Mays are the, uh, you know, the grand old men of the game. And now it's just, now it's just Mays. Um, but those two certainly uh, are in every, should be in every discussion when we talk about the greatest ever. And they actually could have almost been teammates. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you, know, you just, you think about back then when, when those, those players were available and so many teams passed on them, it's a shame, but um, they certainly made their mark. Tyler Kepner, national baseball writer for the New York Times. Again, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Continued success. Keep up the great work. And uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to visit again sometime soon. All right. You're welcome, Brad. Thanks a lot. Okay. Take care. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Fantastic, man. I appreciate it. I hope I didn't keep you too long. No, that's all right. Yeah. Good stuff. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Hopefully I'll I'll keep you updated. Let you know. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see.